This is Laree Daniel Favors, and welcome to The Hub. that you guys on these airwaves already know is that I am a huge fan of data. I think data matters. It's not very sexy, but quite frankly, data and accurate data can be the difference between actually uh, launching something amazing and wonderful and great, or just sort of launching something that puts along and, and farts out into nothingness. And data can be really helpful, not just when you're constructing a building or when you're looking at an environmental impact of a particular issue. Data is really important for organizations. Organizations who are trying to have a community impact. My guest for this hour is Angie Patty. She's the Director of Partnerships at Grassroots Analytics Nonprofits. And she's here to talk with us today about the very sky high stakes of fundraising for these organizations in the aftermath of the Dobbs decision. Uh, Angie is uh, someone whose local and international experience has taught her the ins and outs of nonprofits. So you already know I'm intrigued. Uh, you can find her strategizing with her clients and tailoring services to increase each organization's base of supporters. And when she's not doing that work, uh, she's steering on cheering on Syracuse sports. We won't hold that against her. Uh, Angie, it's a real pleasure to have you here. Thank you so much for being with us today. Laree, it is such a pleasure. I'm a fan, and so it's just an honor to be here. Thank you, thank you, thank you. I, I want to start first because, I, as I just said, I am a huge fan of data. Uh, now that I'm heavy, heavy, heavy into redistricting work and coming out of the last census cycle, I am crystal clear that data makes all the difference. And it really does so for organizations even the organizations that are closest to some of the issues that we are facing in our community who should have access to data, but unfortunately do not. Can you give us just a little bit of background on grassroots analytics, the work that you guys do and how you got started? Yeah, for sure. So we actually started within the campaign space and we only work with left-leaning campaigns. That's just something that we believe in. Um, and we started on the left-leaning campaign space, helping provide, you know, if if a woman is is running for office, maybe she's a social worker, who's most likely to donate to her? Potentially more women, potentially yeah. other social workers. And we wanted to really break down the barriers with fundraising by working with these left-leaning campaigns and really helping them find people that'll resonate with them. Um, and so what we've done is we, we started on the left-leaning campaign space, and then we realized, well, people aren't, aren't voting on inherently political issues, right? The access of reproductive to justice or access to reproductive health care and access to abortion care is not inherently political. That is just a healthcare issue. Climate change is something that has been politicized, but it's not inherently political. And the same thing with issues like gun violence that are, you know, definitely people on the left are voting with that in mind, but it's not inherently a political issue. So we started to break into the nonprofit space to help these issues within these, to help these organizations within these issues connect to the right people so that they were able to power their fundraising. So we do, you know, things like, yeah. Let's pause just right there one moment, because when you say it's not inherently political, why does that matter to nonprofits? Right. Yeah. Very. Because again, for people who don't know, if you are a nonprofit and you are too <laughs> political, there are some bad things that can happen. Tease that out for us, Angie. Why is that an important distinguishing factor? Right. So there are various kind of um, rules that you have to that you have to follow when you're a nonprofit. So depending on what the distinguishing factor and the classification of the nonprofit is. So if you're a 501c3, for example, you really have to steer clear of political activities and being involved with uh, political activities for you to remain a 501c3 and, and have that classification and the benefits 
that can come with being a nonprofit of that classification. For 501c4s, there's a little bit more leniency, but it's still sticky. It's really, you know, it, it can put a nonprofit into really difficult waters if they tread into political aspects that, that are go beyond what they're able to do. So it's very important that, you know, the work that we're doing is not inherently political with nonprofits because that's not what they signed up for. They signed up to advocate for an issue that's important. Um, and so, you know, what we're doing at Grassroots is we're helping these organizations and these causes and candidates grow their grassroots fundraising and support. So we're looking at those, those $5 contributions and those $10 contributions. And we're, we're trying to break down those traditional barriers for nonprofit fundraising. So not just people who have super, super rich friends and super, super, you know, extensive connections of folks with deep, deep pockets, but just an organization that's serving the community that wants to do good work and wants to stay around and also wants to grow. We mm -hmm. want those people to be able to engage with new donors. And so that's, that's kind of the bread and butter of what we do here at Grassroots. That is so, I, I'm telling you, sometimes um, life experience makes you realize just how important some of these elements are. I'm seeing this in real time when I'm not on these airwaves doing my, my nonprofit side of the housework. And so what does it mean or how, what type of difference does it make having access to the accurate data when you're able to sort of minimize the barriers to figuring out where your ideal donors are, um, particularly for organizations that frankly, if you're a nonprofit organization in the in the vein of most nonprofit organizations, you don't have a lot of rich friends. You don't have a lot of that instant access. You may not have the mayor's cell phone uh, number in your device. So what what difference and how does that play out on the ground? Yeah, I mean, it's finding the right people, right? So instead of you having to contact um, a thousand people who might be interested in your cause, maybe you can contact 500 people who you know are interested in donating to reproductive justice issues because they've shown that they're interested in that. It's something that they give to. It's something that they're passionate about. Um, and so it allows you to utilize your resources and allows organizations to utilize their resources in a more effective way. And say if they wanna reach out to a thousand people, the likelihood that more folks are going to donate within that batch of a thousand people, if we're using proper analytics is much higher. And wow. so it just, it, you know, nonprofits are strapped, right? Like we have, we, there's, there's definitely funding issues. There are definitely wonderful, wonderful people that are tend to be um, overworked as well. We want to eliminate all the, the difficulties that come with doing incredible work. Um, and so that's kind of the power of data analytics is really making sure that we're able to be targeted so that it's easier for nonprofits and for organizations to do their work. So does your data also take into account the, the issues that come up with diversity? So, and, and I mean, so an example, um, during presidential elections, we often hear the polls say this, or this community feels that. And I can tell you very honestly, I may have one black friend who has ever been polled on anything ever. So I'm like, who are these people? The polls are for strippers and they should have safe ones, but I don't know <laughs> that I should be listening to polls because I don't know that they're actually asking relevant questions to my community in a way that matters. Are they asking my community questions at all? How are you able right. to ensure that you actually do have uh, a reach into the communities that you're targeting, particularly if they're not some of the communities that are um, more frequently asked to chime in or to opine on a variety of issues. Yeah, so, so we primarily work within donation data. So we're not necessarily doing like the polling and stuff. What we're hoping to do is empower those organizations to then do that outreach. And so we're hoping that they get, you know, a lot of a lot more funding, a lot more fundraising so that say it's a reproductive justice organization in a hostile state so that they're able to do more community health and advocacy within black communities that will obviously be disproportionately affected by 
the criminalization of abortion. So wow. what we're hoping to do is help these folks get more money so that they can then do the work that they should be doing responsibly, um, which is targeting and working within communities that need more help because mm. of the systemic racism that would allow for that. Let's talk about the criminalization of reproductive justice. Have you seen that have an impact on fundraising, either capacity for the folks that you're working with or fundraising interest for folks who perhaps you have not worked with in the past? Yeah, absolutely. You know, I remember, I'm saying I remember because it feels like a lifetime ago, but it was just May <laughs> uh, where when I received the, the notification of, of the leaked draft opinion. And um, our nonprofits wing is, is a little bit newer to the scene. So we're still figuring it out. And we kind of turn to each other and we're like, we have to help. We, we have the resources to help. We have to help. Um, we did lots and lots of cold emails. Um, those are always fun. And a lot of them actually stuck. We were able to, com we completely donated services within the, the wake of the, the leaked decision um, for free texting services for folks to reach out to new donors. Um, and we worked with organizations in various states where if Roe was overturned, which it then happened, um, abortion would become illegal, but then also states where it would remain legal, but would be necessary for folks to travel to. Um, and also, you know, folks within those states just being able to access abortion. Yeah. So what we've seen is definitely an increased interest in donating to these organizations, but we're also aware that it's not enough. You know, there's, there's always more that needs to happen, especially as we continue to see folks fighting on the other side to continue to criminalize abortion and continue to push. Uh, there are a couple states that are not protected where it's legal now, but it's a very, very uh, thin line in a kind of a precarious state. Um, so, you know, we're, yeah, there's definitely appetite to donate to these organizations now, but we are also, we're aware that this might take years. So what happens in years if, if there, you know, there's not enough money? Mm. What does happen if there's not enough money? Paint that picture for us, because we often talk about grassroots work as though, you know, I was at an event where a mayor of a particular town, which I will not name because everyone will know exactly who I'm talking about. Uh, but this mayor is a black mayor, uh, at former Republican, uh, but now a Democrat. And this mayor was at an event with very few black people in it. Uh, I was actually surprised myself at how few black people were there. And the mayor basically said, uh, again, no names, um, you know, these activists, these leftists, and I'm looking around and I thought, well, who exactly are we talking about here? They said these activists, these leftists, they, they go home and, and they talk bad about the police and they abandon the police and we need your help because they're going to go home and they're going to get their check for their activism check. And I thought, now, Angie, I, I have never gotten a check for activism. Um, I, I am paid as a nonprofit director, but like, I don't go to a protest and then reach the end of the protest march, turn in my protest uh, uh, you know, signage and then pick up my protest check. That has never happened. But there right. is this concept that you know movements can happen without conversation about finances. Dispel that myth for us, if you will. What happens if we say we are intentional about social justice, reproductive justice, criminal justice, but our pockets don't match up what our mouths are saying. Yeah, that, that's, it's chilling, actually. One of, a conversation that jumps to my mind was with an organization, which right now is um, in a state where abortion is illegal, is the only place that is working to provide abortion care for folks. Mm. So that means connecting them to other states. They are the only organization within the state. And I'm having a conversation with them, and I'm like, what are your fundraising goals? What are we What are we working towards? How can we connect with people? What's the messaging here? And 
I remember it and I have it written down and I bring it up in meetings. Um, they said, we need to keep the lights on. And I, I thought that was such a dire, it's such, a, such an accurate rep representation of how dire the movement is right now. Mm -hmm. You know, right now we're seeing the headlines, we're, we're reading the headlines, but what if in one or two years, this organization, which now is the only organization that provides any sort of help for any birthing, any, for all birthing people within the state, they're the only resource. What if they don't exist in one to two years? And also, what if abortion access becomes legal, and which I'm hoping it does, so I'm saying when, when abortion access is restored, what happens if there's nowhere within the state? Then folks still have to resort mm. to incredibly expensive methods to get out of state. So it becomes a desert, and it's already a very, very sparse landscape. And so it becomes completely non-existent, terrifying, and people will be trapped. Uh, we're already seeing it. So I think that's that's what's critical is like, we need to give now, but we also need to, you know, if people have the ability, need to be signing up for those $5 a month kind of contributions and, and work within continuing to support these organizations. Do those contributions really make a difference though? Like the $5 a month? I mean, I'm, I'm asking facetiously because I already know the answer, but do they really make a difference, Angie? Yeah, $5 a month, a hundred people. That's huge. That's more, you know, that's, that's, mm -hmm. That's how many abortions can be provided. That's how many folks can be referred to different states. Um, that is how many people within the community folks can have a conversation with, or how much work a salaried employee can put into going to the state legislature and you know, working their butt off so that their lawmakers listen. Like The money directly makes a difference, especially in these organizations that are grassroots and within the community and work within a state. They know the people, they know the the landscape and your money will go to something good. I will just be honest that we have, a, um, in my non radio life we, at, at our center, we have a donor, um, who I'd never met before. And this is a donor who donates $10 a month has don't. And I have been at the center for a couple of years now, since 2015, I, I say, maybe they started a couple of years ago, maybe three, four years ago, $10 a month. I always noted the name, you know, we send our automatic thank yous. And one day I'm out in an event. It was the Brooklyn soiree at prospect park. And someone runs up to me and they're like, hi, are you Laurie? And I was like, yes. Cause I, you know, I never know where they, they know me right. from. You're like, like, who, who's asking? Um, and they introduced themselves as the person. And I was like, I know your name. And they were like, yeah, you know, I can only do a little bit. I've been sending, you know, this, you know, five, $10 a month. I cannot tell you how happy it made me to be able to interact with this person who, again, I'd never actually met in person, you know, other than our, our automated, you know, our thank you. And we send out, you know, our emails to thank people, but it, there was such a personal interchange of energy in that moment, because here's somebody who not knowing me personally had been sending her, you know, her little amount of money. And I say little because it's all relative. I'm, you know, I grew up in the church. And so I'm reminded of the Bible story. The, the woman who had just the two pennies gave more because she gave gave all of her two pennies. She gave more than the, right. the wealthy people who had, you know, millions to give and only gave five. But there was such an interpersonal moment of connection because here is somebody who basically just on the strength of valuing the impact we're having the community had decided on their own that they were going to do this work and being able to talk with them 
and see them in that moment, just sort of see the pride that they have. And they, they could see the gratitude that I have. Cause let me tell you that little bit of money makes a difference. It right. does help keep the lights on. It really does matter. Angie, what success stories have you seen for organizations that have worked with your organization or that are employing some of the methods? Give us some examples of some successes because Lord knows we could use a little optimism right now. Right. No, for sure. For sure. And that, you know, that just to speak to that, Larry, what you just explained, it's so real. It's yeah. great. It's great to know that there are, there are people out there who believe in what you're doing and they, they want to see it continue. And maybe yeah. out of the hard-earned money that they've made, they can give $5, $10, $20 a month. That's amazing. Or maybe even $20 one time, but they continue to stay engaged with you. Like right. that is huge. And they don't even, they don't even know you until they met you. And then they're pumped. Um, we've seen such incredible successes and we're very honored to work with the organizations that we work with and that we're privileged to work with organizations that are aligned with us within the reproductive justice front um, in, you know, with those donated services, actually in May, we were able to see um, just under $20,000 raised in May alone wow. for just a handful of organizations, wow. which we know is, is huge. And this is, this, these were organizations where abortion is now illegal. Um, some abortion funds directly that we were able to work with, and then and some organizations that are working within legislative um, and legislative work and policy kind of expansion. Mm. So we were we're really excited about that. What we were most excited about is not that, that that mark of how many dollars were raised, which is huge, but also how many donors these organizations were able to connect ah. with. Um, that's more you know that's more long term support. If these people are regularly engaged with, it's more community support. It's more people being knowledgeable about what's happening in their communities regarding this critical, critical issue that's affecting birthing people. Um, so I think it's, it's a huge success for us to raise money for folks, but it's even more exciting for us to help expand the donor pools that people are able to tap into and the support generally. Hmm. That's powerful. And I know somebody out there listening, $20,000, right? Listen, That's if you're it. keeping lights, if you're at, can we keep lights on level of financial insecurity that 20, if my share of that $20,000 is going to be so well put to use. <laughs> I cannot even, I cannot even tell you some of the best people you want managing your money are nonprofit directors who have had to do a whole hell of a lot uh, with very, very little for people who are listening, who want to be more active. Maybe they don't have a thousand dollars to spend. Maybe they, they too are still looking at the mail for where their activism check is like I, uh, but if they want to send $5, if they want to, if maybe, you know, we used to have a program at one of my other organizations, a dollar a day or a dollar a month, whatever you can do. If they want to do that, now that we're clear, it does make a difference. Don't let somebody tell you your $5 a month doesn't count. It matters. Where do they send it? What do they do with it? How can they find a good location for whatever they are able to come up with to support these efforts? Yeah. I think first they want to assess, um, you know, what do they want to support in their state? Is that something that's that's working for them? Or do they want to support an organization that's helping fund travel between states and mm -hmm. fund care between states? Um, for me personally, I would probably go to the National Network of Abortion Funds and I would look for a specific abortion fund. And then I would also do research on the handful of organizations within the state that are working within the policy work and trying to get, um, abortion access put into law in hostile states. So that's that's probably what I would do first and foremost. There's a handful of organizations that, you know, do incredible work 
Um, they're not necessarily clients of ours. I'm just within the space. And so I love to, to shout them out. There's the Bridget Alliance that provides um, transportation for clients or for, for, cust for customers, for people who are, need abortion care between states. Um, there's a lot of organizations within states like Missouri and within Virginia that are doing incredible work during this really scary time. So I would just say, look up your local abortion fund if you wanna donate directly to that. But if you're looking more within the policy level, there are a lot of um, organizations that are also working within the, the policy level as well. Angie, it's been a real pleasure to have you here. Grassroots Analytics Nonprofits is the organization. Y'all may be getting a call from the Center for Law and Social Justice pretty well, soon because I'm like, cool. where welcome have you it. been all of my non-analytic life? <laughs> These are tools that all nonprofit organizations should have access to the, to the extent that they can. Uh, so I'm just really grateful for the work that y'all do. We will not hold Syracuse against you. Um, <laughs> we, we love everyone here as equally as we can. Thank you for being with us this morning. Really appreciate Appreciate it. Before you go, though, give us the website. How can organizations connect with Grassroots Analytics? Yeah, you can just go on Grassroots Analytics Nonprofits um, or grassrootsanalytics.com and feel free to, it's a really quick form. Shoot me over an email. I would love that. Um, and also, yeah, that, I think that's probably the easiest way, but I'm available via LinkedIn at Angie Patty um, and also on the, non on the nonprofits website. But I get all those um, requests, so it'll come straight to me, and I would I would be in touch. But you know, we're just getting started, so the the uh, even if that's a couple dozen donors, a couple tens of thousands of dollars for now is kind of what I would say. Is there's a lot that needs to happen, and and we're here to help organizations with that. And we'd love for the Center of Law and Social Justice to also be one of those folks as well. Yes, indeed. Don't you worry, sis. Watch the phone. <laughs> Wonderful. <laughs> Watch the phone. Angie, it's been a real pleasure. Thank you so much for being with us this morning. I appreciate it. Thanks so much.